Unmasking Eve, 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 unmasking Eve. This is Abby. This is Joey. And, and this, this is, is Unmasking Eve. Hello, crime junkies. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, wrong podcast. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Uh, this is Unmasking Evil. <laughs> we need to come up with a name for our people. Uh, It'll come to us eventually. Yeah. And my, my head's bothering me today, so I'm going to have some issues with that. We decided to go ahead and try to record. So forgive me if I'm off today some. Uh Abby's done some more research on the case. I still haven't done one because <laughs> uh, I suck and having difficulties lately. That's okay. I'm having a lot of fun. So yeah, and, <laughs> well, she's carrying the whole podcast, which is her podcast. So I guess that's okay. Yeah. And today I'm actually going to be telling you a story that you've never heard of before and you don't know anything about it, right? Absolutely nothing. I don't even know the name. Raina Rison. Raina Rison. Yes. So I'm going to be telling you, and then if you need to say anything or make a comment or ask a question, I might be able to answer it. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Okay. You ready? I will give it my best shot. This is actually a solved case. This is our first solved case that we're doing. First solved case. Yep. So what made you decide to do a solved case? Because we've done missing, murdered, unsolved, and then a mysterious death. So I'm like, might as well do a solved one now. Okay. Maybe next we can do a conspiracy. No, because you're doing that one that's a murder. Is that murder solved? Yes. Okay. It's it's solved. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. So Raina Rison was born on May 6th in 1976 to Benny and Kara Rison. Um, and in 1993, Raina was 16 years old. She was a sophomore at LaPorte High School in LaPorte, Indiana which is fairly close to Chicago, actually. Uh, but to give just a little information about LaPorte, it's actually a small town, and the crime rate is very, very low. Which So it's the complete opposite of Chicago. Yes. Because Chicago is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And it's stated that people, they live a pretty peaceful life here. Okay. So, but Raina, she was a great kid, and her sister, Wendy, actually stated that she was really funny, she liked to crack jokes, and she was a very good student. She got really good grades in school, stayed out of trouble. She played multiple instruments in the school band. And she seemed to be like the type of kid that her parents don't need to like keep her in line, you know? She's a goody two-shoes. I, She's an Abby. <laughs> I was about to say I'm jealous. I wish I had a kid like this. <laughs> Whatever. I was a good kid. Um, she was very hardworking out, like in and outside of the school. She actually had three part-time jobs. I couldn't wow. find anything about... The other two, but one of them, I say job, but she volunteered at a local animal hospital. Oh. And she would clean kennels and walk dogs. And she loved animals. She actually wanted to be a veterinarian one day. That reminds me of you. Yep. So on March 26th, 1993, Rena's parents, Benny and Karen, they were spending their Friday night at home, you know, just hanging out. And their youngest daughter, Wendy, she was at a movie with a group of friends. Their middle daughter, who was Raina, was working her shift at the animal hospital. And she was supposed to get off at 6. 
It was a very short shift. She was only there from like four to six. And then she had plans to go on a date with her ex-boyfriend, Matt, afterwards. Um, And she was supposed to go straight to his house. So from what I gathered, they actually just recently broken up. But they were both wanting to try to like rekindle things because they really liked each other. And they wanted to try to make it work. You know how 16 year olds are, you know, you meet this person, you're like, I'm going to marry them. (laughs) No, you're not. You could, but no, you're not. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm just saying. Sorry to all you happy people out there. <laughs> but anyway, she was supposed to head straight to his house afterwards after her shift. But at about 7 p.m., Benny and Karen, they actually hear the doorbell ring and they're kind of caught off guard a little bit because they weren't expecting anybody. I know whenever I'm not expecting anybody, I don't answer the door. I don't either. So tell me if you're ever coming over because I won't answer. <laughs> Um, but whenever they go check who it is, it's Matt asking if Raina was home. Um, and they were confused, you know, they were like, I thought she was supposed to meet you at your house. Like, what do you mean? She got off an hour ago. She was going to go straight there. And he was like, you know, I'm confused too, because that's what I thought, but she never showed up. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he actually tells them that before coming to her home, he actually went to the clinic where she worked you know, to see if she was there. Maybe she was running late, but he didn't see her or her car. So then that's why he went to her house to see, because he thought maybe, you know, maybe she needed to go get something. Maybe she needed to change. Right. Maybe she was just running late, whatever. So this is whenever they realize nobody knows where Raina is, and they all start to panic, because this was very unlike her. She was, you know, the type of kid that, kind of like me, whenever I lived with you, like, hey, I'm going here. Yeah. I'll be here. You know, you always knew where I was. Yeah. But they began to start calling around to people who may have seen her, including their oldest daughter, Lori, and her husband, Ray. But no one's seen her. And so they're just hanging out at the house, probably hoping like, okay, she's going to walk through the doors here in a minute. We're overreacting. Everything's okay. But three hours go by and 10 p.m. rolls around and nobody's seen her or talked to her since she finished her shift at work. And so they're panicking and like worried at this point because again it's just not like her and then this is whenever they decide to go to the police department to report her missing if you haven't guessed by now the police department tells her you have to wait 24 hours before you can report her missing they do this a lot especially they do it with with everybody usually it's only little kids they take serious because you know teenagers she ran away she's with a friend yeah you know, in stories like this, this happens all, all of the time. And it frustrates me so bad with adults. It's they're an adult. They have the right to go missing. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're right. Yes. But at least look into it, because if they didn't, you're just giving this person time to get away. Yeah. To every the first 48. hours. Mm-hmm. They say the first 48 hours are the most crucial. Yes. So after this, they go home. And the next morning, Karen, her mother, actually decided to start taking matters into her own hands. And she starts making missing missing persons posters to hang around town. Benny, who is her father, and Wendy, her sister, they decided to start a search party with people around town because Raina was actually very well known around town because she was really active in the community. Which, I mean, it sounds like three part-time jobs. Yeah, She seems like she's really active in school, too. So they were actually able to find a bunch of people who were willing to like help look for her. And it, it's actually so big. The search ended up being so big that the, the police caught word of it. And only 18 hours after they first tried to report her missing, they sent out an alert to the public asking for anybody with information to contact them. And they got a few calls like instantly. 
So they got two tips at first. Somebody called saying they had seen a blue four-door sedan in the parking lot of Raina's work around the same time she was supposed to be getting off, so six. And then they saw two men that were sitting in the car, and then they had seen a girl in the parking lot who seemed to be arguing or having an intense conversation with these men. And then right after they received this tip, they got another call, and they actually got several calls saying the same thing. You know, this blue car was in the parking lot around 6 p.m., two guys, a girl arguing with them. They had, And then there was another call that said they had seen an abandoned car that matched the description of Raina's car about nine miles away from her job. And so the police go there, and right away they're able to confirm that it's hers. But it's in a weird condition. It's like the hood's up, kind of like maybe it broke down, and somebody was trying to figure out what was going on. But the weird thing is... It only took them a few seconds to realize that it's, it, it was in perfect condition. They started it up right away. It was fine. So they were like, side-eye. <laughs> yeah. You know? Thanks. Red flag. Mm-hmm. They say that there's no obvious signs of a struggle in the car, um, but they did find her purse in the passenger seat. And there was a ring in the glove box, but it wasn't a female's ring. So it wasn't hers from what it looked like. It was a man's ring. And so their first question was, is it the boyfriend's ring? So they go to him and they ask and he says, it's not his, but he knows who, I say boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend, uh, but he thinks he knows who whose it is. Jason Tibbs. Jason is Raina's ex-boyfriend from seventh grade. <laughs> and they dated for six months, I think it was. The fact that he's her ex-boyfriend is not like alarming because they did it in seventh grade, but they remained friends apparently. But it's also stated that Matt, as well as Rena's family, did not like Jason. It, he dropped out of school, he had a criminal record, and he was involved in a bad crowd of kids. So, you know, of course, they start their investigation with Matt, the boyfriend, because you know how often the boyfriend did something. So they ask him how his and Rena's relationship was, you know, to see if they notice any red flags, because they know they just recently broke up, and so they're like, what's going on? But Matt um, knew why they were asking him these questions. And he's like, hey, we never fought. Like, we are fine. We're both committed to each other. We want to make this work, you know. Of course, they had fights and like little bickering back and forth. But like, that's normal. Every couple does. Um, but then he also made sure to make note that Raina always wore his Letterman jacket. Like, she pretty much never took it off. <laughs> um, so anyway, next they go to Jason's house to talk to Jason, specifically to ask about the ring. Um, but he does confirm that the ring is his. He says that he just forgot it in her car because he went to go help her not that long ago to fix her stereo. I'm not sure if this is like confirmed or not. I don't know how they would confirm that. But anyway, they do think it's a viable story, but they still ask him what he was doing the Friday night Raina went missing. He told them that he was tutoring some girls, um, which he had actually been doing for a while from about 6 to 9 p.m. that Friday night. So after he got done tutoring the girls, a friend picked him up and they actually played fox hunt until about midnight. And then I had no idea what fox hunt was. Do you know? I have no idea. So basically a fox hunt, apparently it's a game of hide and seek with cars and CB radios. The fox parks somewhere around town and then they give clues to all of the seekers by using radios. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I know they're talking about that. I have played this before with, with my friends. Called. I just didn't know what it was called. Yeah, so I was like, this this makes sense to me because, you know, we're from a small town with absolutely nothing to do. So I can see how this would be a thing that you would do, especially back then when there's no, like, phones or 
You know what I mean? Yeah, we have cell phones. Yeah. So, so we had some CB radios, and that that's something we use a lot as teenagers. Yeah. So he says after they finished playing this, he got a friend to drive him to another friend's house where they played darts and they watched TV until about 3 a.m. So typical Friday night for a teenager. <laughs> and then his friend uh, dropped him off at home, and that was it. And there were actually many people who corroborated his story, so they cleared him. They're like, okay. You're good. Yeah, it sounded like pretty early on that he wasn't involved. Yeah. Especially if he was tutoring from six to nine. Yeah. He couldn't have been in the parking lot arguing with her. Yeah. So about a week after they found Raina's car, they found something else. About six miles from where her car was found, they found the Letterman jacket. And they brought it to Matt, you know, just to confirm. And he confirms what they had suspected. So they examined it and they did not see anything concerning. No blood, no rips, nothing that would give them any sign of like a struggle happened. Um, but they did send the car and the jacket off for forensic testing analysis, you know, hoping something would come back maybe like DNA evidence that they could match to somebody. And that somebody they already had in mind. Buckle up for this. Do you remember Raina's sister's husband, Ray? Uh, yeah. So investigators assigned to her case actually learned very quickly that a few years ago, Ray, he had actually been convicted of molesting a little girl when she was 11 until she was 13 years old. What? Mm-hmm. And this girl was Raina. What? Yeah. I know. It's like... Why is the sister still married to that? I know. I know. I'm like, I know, like, I don't have a little sister, but I can bet you if anybody did anything to my little brother, God forbid. That's insane. There's more. Raina, whenever she was 12, she actually ended up getting pregnant with Ray's child because of this um, and she ended up terminating the pregnancy when she was 12 and apparently Ray had actually threatened to kill her if she told anybody and so my first thought is why is this guy not in jail yeah so anyway but her her parents and her sister were both unaware of this until she got pregnant but you know I have to assume that even after they found out it took a while for them to report it because she was 12 when she got pregnant and terminated it the abuse continued until she was 13 so maybe they tried to settle it without getting the cops involved. But I'm like, no. How? No. There's no way. Yeah. Uh-uh. I'd be putting you in jail so quick. But um, so going back to the fact that he's not in jail, apparently, because he was so cooperative with the police and he was such a good, like, what's the word? I don't know if he ever actually, I'm sure he probably was. Because he had charges pressed against him. So I have to assume that right. he did get arrested. He just got out. Right? Back then, was this 93 using then? Well, a couple years before that. It's like 1990, 1989. So they probably gave him probation? That's so messed up. Yeah, he was really cooperative. And so because of this, they gave him three years of probation. Three years. Wow. Yeah. So, of course, after they the investigators learned this, they showed up to Ray's house to ask where he was the night that Raina went missing. And he tells him that he had actually been hired to shoot pigeons on a hog farm and that he was there all evening and they were able to confirm his alibi. Okay. So 10 days after her disappearance, they brought in K-9 units and helicopters to do searches for Raina around the area. They consulted with the FBI. People around the community were donating for a reward 
her case was even featured on America's Most Wanted, but they they didn't get anything from any of that. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Like, how can a girl just literally just vanish into thin air is what it's sounding like. Yeah. So about a month after she vanished, the police got a call. It was from a family saying that they were fishing at a local pond and then they suddenly smelt this horrible stench. And at first they thought maybe it was a dead animal somewhere in the area because it was a secluded area, you know, wildlife. Because that's exactly what it smelled like. It smelled like death, like something was dead. Yeah. And then they see it. They saw the body of a young woman laying face down by the pond under two logs. So they call the police, and whenever they arrive, the body was too decomposed for, like, a physical identification. But then they look at her left hand, and they saw two rings, two class rings. One had the name Matt, and the other one had the name Raina. Oh, my God. Now, of course, they had to do tests, you know, just confirm that it was her, and an autopsy was done. So whenever the autopsy report comes back, it's said that she w- she's been deceased for about a month. So this leads them to believe she was killed the day that she went missing. Are you okay? No. What? Do you need to stop? No. It's just hitting me kind of hard. I, uh, I don't deal well with children who've been hurt. Oh. And, uh... The other cases I had time to prepare for. Oh. And this one I didn't. This one you. And I didn't expect it to hit me that hard. Yeah. So I'm okay. Okay. I just look over and you're crying. I'm like, do you need to stop? Do you feel sick? Are you okay? I'm okay. 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 So her cause of death was ruled as busy. I can't say that word. Strangulation, basically. Yeah. Um, But her manner of death was homicide. So... The pond where they found Rena's body was about two miles north of where her car was found. The location of her body sticks out to police right away because of a statement made by somebody um, that they had interviewed. So if you remember Ray, he said that he was working on a hog farm the night that she disappeared. So this pond was actually along the the route that Ray would have taken to get to the hog farm. Oh, wow. And they're like, we got more questions. So they go knock on his door. Right off the bat, Ray, he admits that he wasn't completely honest with them. And I'm like, that's never, don't do that. Don't lie to the police. I don't care if you're hiding anything or not. Don't do that. Yeah. So he told them that before heading to the hog farm, he actually picked up a female hitchhiker and drove her to the state border. He says that he left this part out because his wife, Lori, would have been upset about it. But then he also admits that he did see Raina that night. Again, before heading to the farm, he stops to look at a house for sale that was near the clinic where she worked. So we stopped by to say hi to her. And of course, she wasn't happy to see him. She's like, leave, bye. <laughs> like, no. bye. So we left. But because of all the circumstantial evidence, I mean, they were like, you're, you're, you're giving us some alarm bells are going off, you know? Yeah. So they obtained a search warrant for his house and his vehicles, but they both turned up nothing. This was still, I believe, maybe April of 1993. So fast forwarding to November of 1994. So it's been a little over a year. This Okay. Nothing, because nothing happened between this time. So in November of 1994, this is when in a nearby county, a patrol officer pulled over a van that belonged to a 31-year-old Civil War reenactor whose name is Larry Hall. Have you ever heard of this guy? No. He's apparently 
very well known in the true very well known in the true crime i've never heard of them either though but anyway this guy was wanted because he was linked to two attempted kidnappings in illinois um so as they were searching his van they found a pill bottle that had r ryzen on it oh wow yeah and they also found multiple newspaper clippings about her case so this was very sketch and so he actually tells them that he abducted her and killed her so he confessed but soon enough the police learned that the pill bottle was pill bottle was forgery and they tracked his movements throughout the years and they actually learned that there's no possible way he could have killed her because they had 100 percent proof that he was in kentucky on march 26 1993 i'm like why would i just don't understand why you would confess people confess to things they didn't do yeah for notoriety or different reasons well just because he didn't kill reyna doesn't mean he's not a good person because he was actually convicted for other kidnappings and murders. I'm not sure who, but yeah. This whenever Raina's case goes goes back to square one again. And it stays there for another four years. So in May of nineteen ninety eight, the Laporte police they released a statement that they had made an arrest in Raina's case. Ray. They arrested Ray for the murder of Raina Risen. But interestingly enough, nothing new came up in the case it seems as if the prosecutor's office probably just decided they had enough and it was probably all that they would ever have and so they were just going to shoot their shot i guess okay because i've heard that if you arrest and try to convict somebody for i'm not sure if it's for anything or if it's just probably everything if the trial goes through and their and the jury comes back with a not guilty verdict they can't be tried again double jeopardy yeah yeah so i guess they were trying to see if they would get more on him before arresting him, but I guess they decided that they weren't going to. So anyway, throughout the whole thing, he swears up and down he had nothing to do with her murder, and the Risen family actually stands by him, and they believe that he wouldn't have murdered her. But also, only a year after he had been arrested, a new prosecutor was elected and took over the case, and he decided that the case against Ray was too weak, and so the charges were dropped. Like, he never went to trial or anything. Actually... I take that back. I don't know if he went to trial. I should have Googled that. Well, if the charges were dropped, probably not. That is true. I don't know. I don't know much about the legal system. Still, I mean, they can drop the charges during the trial. Yeah. But if if he was newly elected, it sounds like he didn't go to trial yet. Probably. He was probably waiting on a trial. Yeah. So... Of course, after this, they find themselves back at square one again for 15 more years. Nothing happens for 15 more years. And in 2008, the Laporte police got a call, and it was from an inmate in a correctional facility about four hours away. His name is Ricky Hammonds. He's serving a 44-year sentence for murdering his roommate. And he tells them that he knows what happened to Reyna and who is responsible. But, you know, of course, the officers are skeptical of him because this happens all the time inmate or in-house informants they come forward because they usually want something in return you know a lesser sentence a plea deal whatever and they give out false information but he tells them that he actually doesn't want anything in return so they listen and they're like okay what do you know so they drove about four hours to the facility to talk to him and he tells them that on the night that Raina went missing he was 14 at the time and he was actually living on a farm with his parents his older sister jessica 
and his sister's boyfriend, Eric. And he says that that night he was walking out to the barn to smoke a joint, 14. <laughs> and when he got there, he had seen his sister's blue Chevy Caprice sedan pull into the driveway. And in the car, he says he sees his sister, his sister's boyfriend, Eric, who was driving, and his friend, Jason Tibbs. Oh, wow. Do you remember who Jason is? Yeah. So they both get out of the car. They walk to the back of the car. They open the trunk. And Ricky says that he sees a lifeless body inside covered with a dark cloth. And then he says that Jason and Eric argue for a few minutes. They got back in the car and they drive away. Um, and he says that, Ricky says that if they pressed Eric enough that he would eventually crack and tell him everything. So, not sure if you remember, but there was a blue sedan in the parking lot that multiple witnesses called about, remember? Right. About the time she was supposed to get off with two men arguing with a girl. So, the investigators catch on to this and they're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Something, this may, be, this may be right. So, they're like, we need to go talk to Eric immediately. And so they do. But as soon as they mentioned her name, he shut down and he wouldn't he wouldn't talk. And then that's it for five more years. And um, I'm stopping here because what? <laughs> yeah. How could they not push like if at this point. Somebody's going to have to confess, mm -hmm. I would imagine. Yeah. And if he's not talking. But did they question Tibbs again? It wasn't said. See? I assume not. Or maybe they didn't. He shut down as well. Right. Um, well, yeah, because I was like, how could they not do anything, you know? I mean, he refused to speak. But Ricky, he literally said he saw Eric and Jason with a dead body in the trunk. But, I mean, I guess because, I don't, again, I'm not... I don't know a lot about the legal system, but I'm just going to assume Eric wouldn't talk and they couldn't do anything. They needed some type of cooperation or evidence so they could move forward with it. So fast forwarding a little bit, about 20 years after Raina's murder in July of 2013, the LaPorte prosecutor's office came up with a plan and they consulted with Raina's family and they got the blessing from Raina's family to offer Eric immunity for his testimony against Jason. Do you know what immunity means? Yeah. I didn't, so I had to Google it. <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure. But, of course, this is whenever he starts to talk, and he says that on March 26, 1993, Jason called him asking for a ride to the clinic to visit Raina. And they got there at about 6. Jason went inside, and Eric waited in the car. And then just a few minutes later, Jason and Raina walked outside and they seemed to be arguing about something. And they both ended up getting in the backseat of the car and Jason told Eric to just drive. He didn't say where. He just said, just drive. And so he does. And then just a little bit into the drive, not far at all, Raina asked Eric to pull over. And he does. And Raina and Jason, they get out of the car. And Eric says that he's looking in the rearview mirror and he sees Jason punch Raina in the face so hard she falls to the ground. And so, of course, Eric gets out screaming, like, what are you doing? You're going to kill her. Stop. Like, what are you doing? But he says it was too late because he had already strangled her to death with her with his bare hands. Oh, my God. And then he says something that might make you cry again because I might cry. 
Jason told Eric, quote, if I can't have her, no one can, end quote. It just makes me think of like, you know, it's just like, I don't understand. They dated for seven months or six months in the seventh grade. They're sophomores in high school at this point. There's some major mental illness or something wrong with this guy. But there's something screwed up mentally. Had to be. So Eric told the police that after this, they put her in the trunk and they drove back to the clinic to get her car. Jason took her keys out of her pocket and told Eric to follow behind him. They drove about nine miles out where Jason pulled the car over to the side of the road and he staged the whole breakdown scene that we staged earlier or that we discussed earlier. Yeah. And this is whenever they drove back to the farm and whenever Ricky saw what he saw. Um, and I'm, I didn't know why they left the farm. Maybe they went there like not knowing what to do. Right. You know, or maybe they're like, or maybe they had a plan at the farm for what to do, but then they saw Ricky maybe. Right. I'm not sure because remember they were arguing. But anyway, they decided to drive out to the remote pond. They carried her into the water. They covered her with two logs, hoping that it would sink her body. And this is whenever Eric drove Jason home. But then later that night, he actually noticed that the letterman jacket was still in the backseat of his car. And so we called Jason to get rid of it. And he did. So I'm assuming they found it off the side of the road. I'm assuming he probably just, Jason threw it out of the car. Yeah. Just in a random spot. In August of 2013, Jason Tibbs was arrested for the murder of Raina Risen. He was 38 years old, married, and he had kids. And I think this is actually the perfect example of you never know anybody because I'm sure his wife and kids had no clue that he'd done this or that he was capable of doing this. Yeah. So never trust anybody ever. A little over a year is whenever his trial began on November 7th of 2014. The jury found him guilty of murder, and he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. According to an article for the South Bend Tribune, many people in Raina's family were actually not surprised when he was convicted of her murder, but I couldn't find anything on why, because in the same article, her father actually stated, quote, Tibbs was very polite when he was with her. I had no problems with the young man, end quote. So I don't know what happened for them to change their mind about him. Yeah. Obviously something. You know, even though the other kid helped cover it up when he should have went to the police, I'm glad they offered him the plea deal. Because in situations like that, especially being a kid, I could see where he would be scared. Yeah. And not know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because Raina was 16, so then that leads me to believe Jason was also 16, you know, so Eric was probably 16 as well. Right. That's young. Yeah, to commit murder. Yeah. But, of course, Jason, he's appealed his his conviction multiple times to try to get new trials, and he does this because he says that Ricky did get something in exchange for his testimony, but I, ha- I haven't found any evidence that he did. Like, no articles he did that he did. I don't think he did. He also says that there could be fiber evidence showing that Ray was responsible, but his appeals kept getting denied and he won't be eligible for parole until 2033. So. Soon. 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. Yep. So 20 years into his sentence. Mm -hmm. I don't think he will. No, I don't think he'll get out. Raina's sister, Wendy, stated to a local news station that she has now lived longer without Raina than she has lived with her. 
and it's still hard to believe that she's gone. She says, quote, I'm not going to lie. I still think she's going to come home. It is still surreal, end quote. And her father, Benny, stated to the same news station, quote, It has not been easy because I made her a promise the day we buried her that I would find out who did this or I would go to my grave trying. And thank God he gave us direction and we have accomplished a miracle because there are not many 20-year-old cases that get resolved, end quote. That's true. But it's amazing that it was solved because he could have potentially went to his grave without it being solved. And I apologize for breaking down. I uh, I just, I don't deal well with children that have been hurt. And I did good the first few episodes with that, but I had time to prepare. Yeah. And I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it. Well, I didn't expect it to hit me like that. But also the last few years, I've been more emotional since I've had the issues with my head. And maybe that's something I should have talked to you about beforehand. Yeah, Uh, that's okay. Because things do tend to hit me harder, especially on days that I'm struggling already. And... I just thank God that I have a close relationship with you. Yeah. And I love you. I love you too. It's okay. I got to take a moment. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, Some of these cases are going to hit hard, and there's going to be some raw and emotional moments, especially when I'm involved. (laughs) I, uh, because of my health issues, and they affect my head. They affect my emotions, and I wasn't expecting it, and I apologize for that. And we discussed next time a kid's involved, we're going to make me prepared <laughs> beforehand. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I just I just want to say, you know, of course, this story, I just want to say, you know, of course, this is a story where justice was served and the killer was caught, but... It's still a heartbreaking story where a very young girl lost her life due to a jealous ex-boyfriend. Which, that's something that we talked about when you were younger. Yeah. And making sure you didn't put yourself in positions where somebody could hurt you. Yeah. If you had like an ex-boyfriend or something like that. Yeah. Don't put yourself in a position where you're alone with them. Yeah. Because you never know. And we talked about that because of the girl that was killed here in town. And... I always wanted to make sure that you being a female and my daughter, who I love more than life, and it's easy for me to put myself in another father's position, which is, I think, one reason why it hits me so hard. Yeah. And I did everything I could to try to keep you safe when you were younger. And I know there's only so much that a parent can do. Yeah. It's you can't a stubborn teenager. Well, yeah, (laughs) but you can't control every situation with your kids, no matter how much you wish you could. And I can't imagine what her family went through, or is even still going through. Yeah, but yeah, because that's a never end. Yeah, it's a nightmare that you never wake up from. Yeah, I would just recommend all parents to have those hard conversations. With their children. And tell them stories like this. Yeah. I mean, it's sad, but it'll open their eyes, maybe, hopefully. 
fiddle bit. Did it help you when we had those discussions? Yeah. Yeah, because I think, like, the older I got, I was like, you know, because my ex-boyfriend was really controlling and possessive. Right. I think we both knew this. And so the older I got and the more stories I hear about stuff like this, I'm like, whoa. I got lucky. Well, and you understand why I went to the lengths that I did about getting the police involved. Yeah. Because of situations like this. Yeah. And I knew at the time you didn't understand that. Yeah. I mean, whenever you're, a lot of people have this mentality, but especially whenever you're that age, you're like, nothing bad's going to happen to me. I know what's best for me. You know, my parents don't know what they're talking about. I'm 16. I'm grown. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, it's just right. That's what you think whenever you're that age. Yeah. Everybody. And and that was, that situation started going badly. Yeah. And I'm not saying that he was capable of something like that. You just never know. I mean, like but you, see you here, don't know. Jason Tibbs had a wife and kids. I'm sure they had no clue. Right. You never know. And I knew that he was very possessive and controlling. And I wasn't going to let it progress any farther than it already had. And sometimes parents have to make those hard decisions. Even if their child gets angry with them for it. Yeah. Which I don't think you were really angry with me. I, no, I don't I, think I wasn't mad. I was just upset. You were upset. You didn't understand. Yeah. But I understand now. Yeah. <laughs> and and you'll know that you'll need to have those discussions with your children. Yeah. Because you don't need to just have them with your daughter. Like grown men. Oh, yeah. I know. Have those discussions Female? with their sons. Females murdered their boyfriends, their girlfriends, you know? Well, that's true. But I mean also from the aspect of raising them not to be controlling, raising them not to be possessive. You don't own that girl. She doesn't belong to you. Yeah. She's all a beautiful life that belongs to somebody else, mm-hmm. not to you. That girl belongs to her father until he gives her away. Yeah. Which I never am. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I don't think I want to get married. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness... In my opinion, every little girl belongs to their father until their father gives them away. Yeah. And I believe that every future reference young man should ask for a father's permission. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just call him right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I do. So, I mean, I just, I believe it's the respectful thing to do. Yeah. And I mean, even at that point, whenever you do give them away, quote, like, it still shouldn't escalate to the point where you think you can control everything they do, everything they say. Exactly. You have access to, you know, all of their accounts and, you know, there needs to be a boundary where they, they're they still their own person. They need privacy. Exactly. You know, if, he, if you wouldn't want somebody doing it to you, then don't do it to somebody else. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. And you deserve to be respected. Mm-hmm. I've always raised you. To understand that. Yeah. And you deserve to be happy. And if someone's trying to control you, you're not going to be happy. You know that. Yeah. And, you know, we were even talking earlier. We had dinner about uh, young ladies and their boyfriends Mm -hmm. and issues that they have with 
even just them being disrespectful and and calling them names to their boyfriends yeah. or their friends. Yeah. And how disrespectful that is and that a girl shouldn't even put up with that. Yeah. And that stuff escalates. And, and it does. It escalates. Yeah. And But on the same regard, a boy shouldn't put up with it from no. a female no, either. No, it goes, it 100% goes both ways. Yeah. 50-50. Yeah. So, and I believe that in every relationship, both people should give 110% mm-hmm. because relationships are work, hard work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, people go to work every day to earn the money that they make. They should also get up every day and put the work in to earn their relationships. Yeah. Now, we all fall short of that, just like we fall short of Christ. Yeah. And we have to ask for forgiveness. It's just how it is. Yeah. I mean, it's human nature. We all mess up. Exactly. But you just got to know whenever you mess up, you just got to be able to admit it. Say, hey, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's work through it. Yeah. Just like you have to apologize for having too much of a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> well, not too much of a sense of humor. It's just, it's hard to tell when you're joking for other people, not for me. Yeah. <laughs> you're too much like me in that regard. Yeah. Because I have to apologize for the same things from time to time. <laughs> I know there's times where I've had to apologize to Amber because I'll take a joke too far mm-hmm. or push it too far and she'll think I'm serious. Because I'm really good at being able to come across serious when yeah. I'm not. Yeah. No, same. I mean, I told you that earlier. <laughs> yeah. I gave you an example. Yeah. 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 Your poor boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Not you. <laughs> Anyway, I guess that's all we have for this week, and I'm sure she'll have another one done before I have my amount of gift, but we're getting close. <laughs> yeah, this is our fourth one. Yes. Yep. All right. Thank you again. This episode of Unmasking Evil was researched and written by me, Abby. Like always. If you would like to see any photos from this case, you can visit our Facebook page, which we will link to in our show notes. Be sure to follow us and share with your friends, and we will be back in two weeks with another episode. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe, rate, and review. You can visit us at unmaskingevil.com or email us, unmaskingevilpodcast at gmail.com.